Where does Elijah get this power in prayer? Elijah had cultivated within his heart a continual awareness that he stood in the presence of God. might think that you have created a way that you don't have to deal with me, but you're not done dealing. This is a grave mistake to think that. And so this is what Elijah says. The Lord, the God of of Israel, he lives. And then he says this. He says, before whom I stand. So this phrase, before whom I stand, we'll slow down on this phrase and we'll camp here for just a minute because this is such a unique phrase Elijah describes himself as one who who stands before the living God of Israel. So it's a rather unique way for Elijah to describe himself. I'm not aware of any other person in Scripture who describes himself this way. The angel Gabriel will describe himself this way in Luke chapter 1. But I'm not aware of another human in Scripture that describes himself or herself as the one who stands before the living God. So it's a rather unique and very interesting way for Elijah to describe himself. And so in order to understand this, it's not explained to us. We're not told what Elijah means when he says, this is how you're to understand me. My name is Elijah, and I'm here because I stand before the living God of Israel. He describes himself in this way, but it was not explained to us what he means When he says this, so we look therefore to Scripture and how Scripture might give us clues and indications in other places as to what Elijah is thinking or what at least the writer of 1 Kings, we don't know who that was, but the writer of 1 Kings, what they mean when they describe, when they put these words in Elijah's words that he stands before Yahweh. So in order to see this, let's just begin by looking at another instance very close in Scripture by the same writer in which we see a similar sort of pattern. And that's just a few chapters ago in 1 Kings chapter 10. In 1 Kings chapter 10, remember the context. The context is a context of the Queen of Sheba is here in Israel, and she's here to learn from King Solomon about his wisdom, about the way that he governs, about why it is that his kingdom is so prosperous and so successful. And so she summarizes her visit in this way. She says in verse 8 here, Happy are your men. Happy are your servants who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. So not exactly the same words, but the same sort of idea. She's describing these servants of Solomon who stand before Solomon. And in their standing before Solomon, they are joyful. They are happy. And not only that, but they stand continually before him. And what they do as they stand before him is they hear his wisdom. So we see some insight there. We see just this idea of of standing before a king, standing in their presence. We think also of, uh, remember Queen Esther? And how she was bold enough to enter into the king's presence without permission. and, And he would either hold out the staff or not. And that depends... The answer there, or that would give the answer as to whether she would live or die and whether she would be granted permission to stand before the king. 
The same sort of thing here is these, these servants are standing before Solomon, obviously with his approval, and they're joyful, they're happy. They are continually before him. That speaks to us of, of not only the, the joyfulness, the emotion, the happiness of being before King Solomon, but also just the access that they have. They're continually standing before him. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're before him 24 hours a day, but it just speaks of a, of a constant access that they seem to have before, uh, uh, before Solomon. And then in addition to that, they hear his wisdom. They're happy. And they hear his wisdom. They, they hear of revelation from him. They hear these words of wisdom. You remember this, the story of the contested baby where there's the two women and they each had a baby and one of them rolled over on the baby in the night and, and killed it, which I cannot fathom. Uh, never having been a mother myself, I've witnessed it six times. I can't imagine a mother being so unaware <laughs> that they would roll over on... But it happened. And so the one baby was killed, and then they were fighting over the, the, the single baby. And Solomon says, not a problem, bring a sword, let's just divide it up. And you get half and she gets half. And of course, that was wisely exposing which one was the true mother. So that's the sort of thing that they heard. They heard these revelations of wisdom, these words of wisdom. So standing before Solomon has with it this idea of nearness. It has with this, this idea of access it has the idea of, of beholding Solomon's majesty, of his riches, of his throne. It has the idea of hearing his words of wisdom. It also has the idea with it of a readiness to serve. In addition to that, I kind of pick up on a little bit of, of jealousy on the part of Queen, she, Queen Sheba, I don't, or Queen of Sheba. I don't know if you picked up on that. But it seems to me that maybe she's a little bit envious. She says, happy are your servants. Happy are the people who stand before you and they hear. I've heard your wisdom for a short visit. They hear your wisdom continually. I don't know, maybe a little bit of, of a queen being jealous of servants there. And so that speaks to us of the grandeur, of the majesty of, of being connected there with Solomon. Also, we see a similar thing in Matthew 18. This is Jesus speaking here. He says, see to it that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Same sort of thing there. Constant access. It's not like the angels have access to the father periodically, but they have access to the father's presence continually and constantly. And look at one, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 19. This is the instance of the angel Gabriel speaking to the father of John the Baptist. Uh, the angel answers, Zechariah, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring to you this good news. So here we have not only the idea of access, but we have the idea of, of being a messenger, being one who's given a job, given a task, and not only given a task to do, but also equipped to do the task. So all those ideas, we can kind of put them together and, and understand that I think that what Elijah is, is getting at here is all these ideas of, of access to God, of standing in the presence of God, of receiving His wisdom, receiving His words, of being His servant, of being equipped to do His work, being sent to do His work, and continual access to the Father, but also the, this idea of 
reconciliation because it's not said here, but certainly it's implied that in order to stand in the presence of the living God, Elijah had to be reconciled to the living God. So there was no standing in the presence of Yahweh without forgiveness of his sins, without a covering of his sin. And so that that idea would be implicit. And all those things, I think, are balled up into this idea of Elijah standing before the living God or standing in the presence of the living God. This phrase that Elijah uses to describe himself, I think, is setting the tone for everything that we're going to read about Elijah that follows. Because this is going to go a long way to explaining for us and answering for us the two questions that we will ask over and over through the life and the ministry of of Elijah. And those two questions are this. Number two, where does this man get his power in prayer? That's how the New Testament categorizes him. That's how the New Testament describes him. James is talking about the effectiveness of prayer. And as his example, he takes Elijah. He says, look at Elijah. So he's the quintessential example of one who had power in prayer. Not only that, we see it in his story. Elijah prays for drought. And there's no rain. Elijah prays for rain. And there's rain. Elijah prays that fire come down from heaven and consume the offering. Fire come down, comes down from heaven and consumes the offering. Elijah prays that the widow's son would be raised back to life. And the widow's son is raised back to life. He is the quintessential example of powerful prayer. So we'll ask the question repeatedly, where does Elijah get this power in prayer? And I think this at least, if nothing else, begins the answer to that, is that Elijah had cultivated within his heart a continual awareness that he stood in the presence of God. He had nurtured and grown and cultivated in his heart this continual awareness or recognition I am in the presence of God. I live every moment of my life in the presence of God. And I think that went a long way to explaining Elijah's power in prayer. So that's question number two. But the first and the primary question that we'll be faced with over and over and over in Elijah's story is this. Where does this man get his courage? Because just as he's the the quintessential example of power in prayer, he's also like the ultimate example of courage in a human We've already seen it as he comes into Ahab's presence and declares this most powerful man in the nation to be an idolater. Again and again, he will be an example. There's going to be that one instance in which he loses courage and he runs from a woman, from Jezebel, but he will regain it. And he will be for us over and over again the example of courage as he faces the most powerful man in the nation and calls him a sinner and an idolater. Think of his New Testament counterpart. Think of all the parallels between Elijah and, of course, John the Baptist. Jesus himself says of John the Baptist, he's not the resurrected Elijah in the flesh, but he is the spirit of Elijah. And so just as, remember last week, Elijah was the first prophet 
There were those before Elijah who served in a prophet-type function. Moses, David, uh, Saul for a period of time, Samuel. But they weren't quote-unquote prophets. They were other things who also served the role of prophet. Elijah, on the other hand, was the first real prophet, the first true prophet. John is the last true prophet. So the first prophet and the last prophet, both of them wear strange clothes made from animal hides and animal hair. Both of them have this connection with the wilderness. Both of them are like wild men, sort of, I just picture this really unkempt beard and wild eyes, skin again darkened by the sun sort of person. And both of them have that persona about them. And both of them, here's the point, both of them, Proclaim to the most powerful man in the whole nation that they live in, you are a sinner before God. John stands before Herod and says, it is wickedness for you to take your brother's wife as your own. Elijah stands before Ahab and says, you are an idolater. We are the people of God. This is the land of God's people. We're done with this Baal worship thing. And so the parallels between the two, both of them are models of courage. Elijah, I think we we see the beginnings of, of where do we see the root? Where do we see the basis of this man's courage? And it comes, I think, in this, in that his cultured, cultivated, this this sense, this 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 constant awareness that he's not just sort of living his life. Everything he does and everything he says is is said and done in the presence of God, in the presence of Yahweh. When the heart is taught to see all of life in this context, to be lived entirely in the presence and in the watchful eye of our maker, then unbelief and idolatry will be clearly seen for what they are, and that is a wicked sin against God. And this is what Elijah sees. He sees this wickedness against God, this dishonoring of God. And to him, it's it's like black and white because he lives his life in the presence of God with the awareness that God is there with him. Have you ever faced a temptation and struggled in that temptation? And then the thought occurs to you, Jesus is watching me. God God is seeing this. I'm not doing this in the dark. And that helped you to fight that temptation that helped you to overcome. It's the same sort of idea. Living their life with the awareness of the presence of God. You know, you may know the name Eric Lydell, the uh, Chariots of Fire, ironically, Chariots of Fire movie. Chariots of Fire because this is, the Chariot of Fire was Elijah's chariot. But you remember the movie Chariots of Fire? Eric Lydell, the Scottish missionary to China. He was martyred in World War II in China. Well, if you know the story of Eric Liddell, he was a world-class Olympic runner before becoming a full-time missionary to China. And he competed in the 1920, I guess that would have been eight uh, Olympics just prior to, well, maybe, no, yeah, it was 28, somewhere in there. Anyway, he competed in the Olympics. And he's famous or well-known for this saying, it's in the movie, in which he said this. He said, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his presence. I feel his pleasure. And that just speaks of the same sort of thing that's in Elijah's heart. This awareness that he's cultivated 
that God sees everything. That when he runs fast, God is pleased. When he fails in resisting temptation, God is grieved. All of his life is lived under the watchful eye of his Savior, of his Master. Elijah lives with this sense of the presence of God. This brings us, I think, just to understanding how it is that Elijah seems to be so much like God. Look at Exodus chapter 20 and verse 5. God describes himself in Exodus chapter 20 as a jealous God. You shall not bow down to idols or serve false gods, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. In other words, God will not tolerate competitors to his glory. He will not tolerate false gods competing with his glory. Now look at the way Elijah describes himself in the next chapter, chapter 19. Elijah said, I've been very jealous for the Lord of hosts. Why? Because the people are bowing down to idols. Spending time, spending your life aware of the presence of God in your life makes you value the same thing God values. Makes you yearn for the same thing that God yearns for. Elijah cannot help but to be jealous for the honor and for the name of Yahweh. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word. Oh,